Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. Now, have we changed a little bit in the deliverance of the revelation? Maybe quite possibly so. But everything I want to share with you is that there's going back over the since December the 22nd, there is a river on the inside of you and it is waiting to be turned loose or released into the society, the rivers of living waters, those uh, those rivers of vitality that I believe God has positioned each and every one of us in the circumstances and the situations that we're at to, to ultimately release Jesus into the community. But you cannot release Jesus until you first fully receive him. I believe there's so many in the church, they're born or they're saved, they're, they're, they're separated, they're, they're delivered, they're, uh, they're, you know, saved from hell, so to speak, but they're not walking in their appropriate identity. They're not walking in the appropriate authority in which they are given as a birthright to walk in as a born-again believer. I do believe there's people that are saved, but they're not quite born again. And there, there's, there's some language that I want to share with you. There is culturally Christian. Culturally, culturally Christian is mere religion. It's we do what we're supposed to do because this is what somebody or the Bible says or we interpret the Bible says we must do. We go to church, we read our Bible, we pray, we do all of these things. We believe in Jesus. James says that even the devils believe in Jesus and do tremble, but what does it profit them? Okay, Jesus died on the cross to make you a regenerate. It literally means that any man that is in Christ Jesus is now a new creature or new creation all things are done away. Behold, all things are made new. Walking in the identity of Christ means that you're walking in a new creation. You're no longer who you were, and now you're becoming more like him. And I believe that that's the process of Christianity. That's the process of one being born again, being regenerate. I believe, I believe this, and a lot of people don't believe this, and that's fine and dandy. I really don't care. Obviously, most of you understand. I don't care if people disagree with me. There's a lot in the Bible that I see differently. And one of those things that I see in the Bible, and I can take you to Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture and let the Scriptures speak for themselves, primarily the words that are written in red, and those are the ones that were given to us by Jesus. But we are to be walking in the identity of Jesus. That's why he says, when you pray in my name or when you pray through me, then God will give you whatsoever you ask for. And that literally means that when you come to the presence of the Father as the Son or identified as the Son, the Son begins to hearken unto the voice and the request of those that appear to him as his Son. Say, appear to him as his Son. Now listen to me. Appear to him as his son and do not come to him as a servant. 
But what have we been taught in the church for the last couple hundred years is servanthood, servanthood, servanthood. You've got to do, do, do. You've got to perform, perform, perform. You've got to achieve, 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 achieve. So then maybe you will get the, uh, you will get him to notice you or he will turn his eyes to you or he will begin to show you favor. And that's just not how it works. Okay, I've been in church so many years. When I get my 30-year card in and I become a veteran in the church, then I'll start laying hands on the sick and see them recover. I've only been saved for six months, but when I begin to when I begin to pastor a church or when I get somebody to give me a ministry or when I get into a ministry then I'll start walking in the earth with a little bit uh, uh, No, I'm going to show you that it's, in, it's instantaneous the process to sonship is not progressive though I believe that there is sanctification is progressive how deep you want to walk in this thing Okay, but the initial giving of sonship is instantaneous. I'm going to prove it today. Okay, Wednesday night I gave everybody some of my notes. If you don't have those notes, let me know. I'm going to go ahead. I'll give them to you after church. May be here. I don't know how far, how long, but eventually, or not eventually, but initially, I want everybody to have a copy of these notes. There's like, I don't know. Those are a lot of pages. But I want to share something with you, what I actually opened up with Wednesday night. The modern day Pharisee is not so obvious, and I'm going to tell you what, most of the time a Pharisee is walking around in, a, in what I would call a hip, fashionable Christianity. I think the new Pharisee is the hip, fashionable Christianity. I'm going to make a lot of people mad, but I've made them mad and I don't care. I cast all my cares upon him, Okay. Those who claim their liberty from the religious spirit are quite often the most pharisaical. They're ready to pounce upon the innocent within the brethren due, sadly, to the inward jealousy they have towards anyone finding favor. Jesus had the Father's favor upon his life and the high council burned with envy and indignation. His relationship and identity infuriated them. His relationship and his identity infuriated them. They could, they could find no fault in Jesus, yet they continually inquired of him in hopes to justify their ill feelings towards him. They, they can't stand the relationship that you have with the Father. And they can't stand the identity that comes as a consequence of that relationship. Why? Because they don't have that relationship themselves. They have a cultural Christianity. It means they do everything that they feel necessary they should do in order to look Christian, but they're not regenerate inside. They're not born again. They're not living in the image and the likeness of Christ in this earth as he is in heaven now. So are we in this earth. Cultural Christianity is religion and religion is worldly. And we are beginning to look more worldly within the church to where the world cannot even see a distinguishing between those that are supposed to be separate. Come out ye from among them and be separate and come unto me. We have completely began to try to mingle worldly theologies into the Christian church. And those ought not be, cannot be, and must not be their polar opposites. 
The only thing that should distinguish you is the identity of Jesus. Jesus is the only thing missing, the most predominant thing missing in the Christian church today. Why? Because we have began to move into a doctrine of individualism. I'm going to make it all about you. I'm going to make it all about these folks. I'm going to make it all about those. I'm going to study the demographic of our community, the culture, and the region. And I'm going to make everything pleasing and enticing to the traditions of the region and the community so I can make my numbers grow. And all we're doing is filling up the church with corpses. It looks more like a tomb rather than those celebrating the resurrection and we're in resurrection month ain't we amen people run around obviously people get saved and they go to their, ne- their, their closest LuLaRoe distributor hmm because they got to look Christian now. Or on the other end of the spectrum, they get saved and they go to JCPenney and buy the nicest three-piece suit they can afford. And it's their Sunday best. Listen, I don't believe in my Sunday best because I better be wearing my best on Monday through Sunday. You know, I'm just not going to distinguish my best for one day. Skinny jeans and Apple watches. Side cuts and fades. Or side comb overs and fades. Men wearing shirts, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't kicked on this horse for a long time. Men wearing shirts that look like dresses. The modern day dress shirt actually is a dress shirt. It's a dress. It goes below the waist and down to the knees. And men are wearing dress shirts and tights. Amen? I, t- I mean, listen, uh, I, I'm on this kick now. When I begin to walk in sonship, I'll lose friends. I've lost a lot of friends, but I've gained some brothers. Okay, I I know it it, it might bother you, it may bother me sometimes for not being the most popular, but guess what? I don't have to work or I don't have to look a certain way in order to gain favor from my daddy. Y'all can tell by looking at this, he still loves me. He don't like my long hair, I can assure you, he don't like my long hair. He asked me on a frequent basis when you're going to get a haircut. Am I right? Amen. 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 That's my daddy, amen to me. So he still loves me the same. Whether I got long hair, short hair, or shaven face or a bearded face. He'll still let me in his house on Sunday evening and eat mommy's fried chicken. Right? I don't have to do anything special. Is your, is your, is, is your earthly daddy, is, are you, or are you or proud of your kids when they... When they are successful in life. Yes, yes, you're, you're proud of them. But it does not make you love them more or any less. Do you love your kids because they're successful and went to college and got a degree any less or any more than the family down the road that is dealing with addiction? No. But why are we this way in the church? I got to do more than the next person. I got to be more successful than the next person. I got to do more than my brother to get my daddy's attention. That's what we've been taught. That's religion. It is religion. Relationship has nothing to do with intimacy and proximity and affection. Has nothing to do with any of that. I'm not a doctor. 
My daddy's as proud as me for being a gas man. I guess he is. He didn't name me in that statement. <laughs> I didn't figure. In religion, we think achievements equals accolades. Just because I may preach does not mean that he does not give you the same attention or the affection that he does me. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to be the elder brother. I'm going to be the brother. And there's, there's a difference. I'm going to show you some stuff here that really, 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 really has not necessarily opened my eyes, but has affirmed my perspective. If, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to preach primarily out of, from verse 11 probably to verse 31. No, we'll go to 32, all the way to 32. The entire parable of uh, the lost son. Never noticed this, but in my Bible it does not say the prodigal son. It says the lost son. Okay. Again, while you're turning there, let me re revisit my notes. They could find no fault in Jesus, yet they continually inquired of him in hopes to justify their ill feelings towards him. I'm going to tell you something. Achievements equal accolades in religion. Relationship. Relationship with the Father. How should I say? Relationship is completely different from accolades or achievements equals accolades. And because we have such a deep ingrained doctrinal, theological, traditional, religious, repetitious understanding of what it means to be Christian, we will begin to work and perform, work and perform, and then get jealous within ourselves when we see the Father begin to show a son favor. Listen, you've heard me say this before. I've said this. One of the, one of the greatest revelations I ever received as a young, young, young minister was God does not show favoritism however he shows favor. He will begin to pour favor out upon those that show him favoritism. Hmm? It's easy to tell when someone doesn't favor God over something else because they'll begin to show favoritism to the thing that they're really, uh, they're really in love with or they're really uh, in a relationship with. Whatever it is, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a thing. It can be a who. It's the thing that you pursue the most. It's the thing that you give the most attention and the most affection to. We've got to understand that this thing is relational. This sonship and Abba revelation is relational. Is it any different? Let me share something with you. We all know the scripture where Jesus says that he goes and prepares a place for us because in his father's mansion, or in his, uh, well, how's it say it again? In my father's mansion, there are many. Okay, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Thank you. Mama had to straighten me up. 
In my father's house, there are many mansions. Okay? That's pretty significant because you have to go back to the culture and what they would do when they were betrothed to a wife. They would go and be with that wife, but then they would leave that wife and go back to their father's house and they would begin to build a room on the side of their father's house and then when that that house was ready when the preparation was over and it was ready for them to go and get their wife they would go get their wife and bring them back to live in the room on the side of their father's house in which they had built let me share something with you there's only one bride but there's many sons in this thing because every son would go. And so what am I saying? Because there's, there's, there's one bride, but there's many sons. However, those many sons make up one image. What is the image? Somebody help me out here. Somebody go ahead and help me preach. What is the image? Who is the image? It should be Christ. My father's house. This is my father's house. This is the church of God. In, the, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Actually, that was, should have been translated many rooms. That's really, that was really the literal translation of that scripture. In my father's house is many rooms. Built onto my father's house, there are many rooms. They're all coming together, accumulatively together, to then begin to reflect the image. There's one bride, there's many sons, but the many sons come together to project the one image of Christ, the Son. He was the firstborn among many brethren. He cannot be brother and you not be the son of the same father. And the son is the identity given to Christ. And Christ gave his identity to you. So therefore you're walking in the identity of Yeshua. Salvation in this earth. And that gives you a power and an authority to walk in this earth in. It's not yours however. It's the son's. But you are the son. When you pray, pray in his name, what does that mean? Pray in his identity. Let me give you a scripture from my notes from Wednesday night. I really splurged on these papers, man. These papers are like as thick as three pieces of paper. Ain't they? Well, I'm looking for... Yeah, that's actually what it says on the paper. They, they were made to last. Let's see, I... Yeah, they're all out of order. Let me find it here real quick. I don't know if he knows what he's preaching or not. I know that's what some of y'all thinking, ain't it? I've got my notes all mixed up here because they're loose leaves of paper. Wait. You might be right, Maxine. You said John 15, didn't you? Give me a second here.
Here it is. John 15, verse, verse, I'll start with verse 16. You may not have that, but I, again, when we get done here, if you need a copy of these, let me know. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that, you, you, that ye should go and bring forth much fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever shall ask, whatsoever ye shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it to you. All that to just say this. Whatever you ask in my Father's, in, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, say in my name. His name is Jesus. Say his name is Jesus. That name is his identity. I come and pray in his identity. Do you, do you, see, do you see how this comes together? Okay, we thought that when we say in Jesus' name, it was just something that we attached to the end of the prayer that was the combination to break the code. It was not the combination to break the code. It was a permission that was given to you to when you come to the Father, you come in the identity of His and as His Son. So ultimately what I'm going to say here, this is again in my notes and let me revisit them. When you start to live in beloved identity, no, let me go, let me see. When you start to live in beloved identity and sonship, prepare for betrayal, slander, gossip, stone hurling, labeling, disassociation, doubters, and haters. Prepare to lose friends and gain enemies. The devil don't like the way he stares and talks to thee. Say this with me. Son in me and the son I am. You are the son. Hmm? Is that possible? Yes, to those that are thinking out of their logic, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He sent his son that there would be the raising and the resurrection of many sons. He was so confident in his identity, he was willing to grant you permission to walk within his identity. Okay, but he is so confident and secure in who he is. He knows that you can never take his identity away from him. So he is willing to share his identity with you. See, there's one in heaven named Lucifer, which meant son of lights, that was so jealous of the son of God named Yeshua. He tried to project himself higher in identity, stature, and position than the son. And even the father would not allow someone to be elevated above the position of the son. But he does allow us to be elevated into the position of the son amen you cannot be elevated in position above the son but he grants you permission to be elevated in the position of the son can I prove it real quick yes I can thank you for asking it's in my notes somewhere but it's in the bible I know exactly where Ephesians chapter 2 It is illegal for you to be elevated in a position above the Son, but it is perfectly permitted for you to be elevated by way of the Father into the position of the Son. Let me prove it. 
But God, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who was rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Verse 6 says, And he hath, set, uh, he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Come on. He has raised us up together to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, in his identity, we are called up into heavenly places, seated in the same seat as the Son because he has given us permission to share in the identity of the one named Yeshua. Come, debate me. <laughs> Anybody that would like to debate that, debate me because that's what the scriptures say. That's not what I say. And there's no other way to translate that. He has given him, his only begotten son, to be resurrected and be the firstborn of many sons. Many sons. There's many rooms in the house of my father. There's many sons. However, those many sons come together collectively and accumulatively to to, to bring forth and project one image, the Son of the Father. I like the word here in verse 5 when it says, quickened us up together. Uh, that word is suzo apoyeo. You want to say that one? Come on, Jimmy, try Listen, the only reason I can say it is because I listen to it over and over and over and over again. Sudo apoyeo. It means to raise one up alive again together. To raise one up alive again together. So if one is being raised up again alive, it is indicative that he was first dead. And one, I, I, I teach this a lot, one is singular, together is plural. So you were, you, listen, individualism has got to die within the church because there's no such thing as individualism until we become one with Christ. If you're looking for a church that will tickle your fancy, this one is not it. If you're looking for a church that will make you feel the most important, this, not, this one's not it. This church, I believe, is here because he needs a place to where he is the predominant figure, where he is the most prevalent, where he is the most adored, where he receives all the praise and the glory, where he is the only one that matters. And I believe that place to be Laurel Branch. Hmm? To raise us up again alive together literally means that I died to individualism, but I was resurrected into him. And now, I, I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith or in the faith of the... S Somebody help me out here. Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm living my life now in the faith. The believing part of the one called the son of God. And the son of God lives in me. Right? Same scripture. Therefore I live in that identity. Are you living in that identity this morning? Some of you can say yes. But none of us can say fully. What is, the, what, is, what is the coming of Jesus? 
when humanity is living fully in the fulfillment of the Son and all of His glory. I, I, listen, you want my rapture theology? It's when the church can no longer be distinguished from the Christ. My rapture theology is simply this. When the church can no longer be distinguished from the Christ. When we, yes, are called up into a cloud of glory to meet Him in the sky. Once we meet Him, we would never be distinguished, nor can we be separate from Him. But I can be enraptured now in Him because He is resurrected now in me. Salah. Y'all getting it? Y'all digging it. I'll go deeper. And we will. You ready? Revisiting my notes. I'm going to go back up and, and I'm going to say this because I skipped it. Unfortunately, one of the most predominant factors in provoking the religious spirit and the pharisaically minded today is the same as then. It is an enlightened revelation of Yahweh as Abba. Why? Why? Because the pharisaical religious demons despise true sons of God. Jesus declared that he was the son of God and every pharisaical religious spirit launched an all-out assault against him. You know what culturally modernized Christianity has set as their anthem and as their motto and as their mantra? Jesus loves us anyway. No, 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 no. Let me, let me, because see, that's a manipulation in that statement. Jesus loves us anyway. Okay, what did the song say earlier? We are a son and a daughter no matter what. That could have been stated. We are a son of, and a daughter anyway, regardless of how we lived. E-D, past tense, come on. I'm about to preach. But the modern mantra of cultural Christianity is this. Jesus loves you any way you want to show up. Any way you want to live. However you want to live. You can live in homosexuality all you want to. You can live shacking up with somebody all you want to. You can have multiple partners all you want to. Jesus is going to love you in any way you show up. But he loves you enough to where he will love you through the way you look so he can show you the way he sees you through the lens of an unadulterated love to where he says, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. That's not the way I created you. I created you to look just like me in this earth. Come on. He didn't have many lovers. He had one bride. Come on, somebody. He never had a lustful thought. Come on. He never done a drug. He never sipped on a bottle of liquor. He never done any of that. Can he love you from it? Yes. But he cannot. He cannot accept you in the sin that you come in. Listen. He will wash you by the regeneration of the word. Somebody's got to get a hold of this. Come on. Some of us came into the presence of Jesus and we needed a bath. 
But if you won't get in the bath and let him cleanse you, guess what? He said, come on. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But on the cross, when he said, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was in that moment when the earth turned black that Jesus bare the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. And God could not look upon the sins of humanity. Somebody debate this in the world today. We want to live in sin, but he died that we would live in it no more. We want to keep looking at pornography. We want to keep looking at somebody down the road. We want to keep doing all of these things, and he died on the cross. He abolished sin, but we're still resurrecting sin, and we don't live in the resurrected Christ. Holy Ghost showed up to preach this morning. Can I prove it? I just did. Can I prove it? Yes, I will. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Prove it some more. Luke chapter 10. You know what? One of the most disgusting things I believe in the church today is cultural Christianity. Come on. We, we, we can get people to stand up for worship, but we, can, we don't have enough Jesus in us to lay hands on somebody that is dead and get them up out of a casket. What, what's real Christianity? LuLaRoe and skinny jeans or raising corpses up out of coffins? Anybody can buy LuLaRoe. That's possible with man. But not everybody can lay hands on a corpse and see them come up out of that casket. That's only God. I want to follow God, and I don't, want, I don't want to follow the fashion of cultural Christianity. I don't want to write a blog so that I can make everybody feel loved in the sin that they're living in. I don't want to do any of this stuff. That's ridiculous, and that's helping nothing. Why? How can I prove this? Because everything we do in the church is absent the Christ, which is life abundantly and life everlasting. But we still have, we still have Christians and pastors com- committing suicide and taking their own lives... Why? Because our message is void of the one that gives life. Huh? We're preaching a message that is void of the one that gives life. Because he is life. We began to study the mindset of humanity. How can I get her to respond the way I need her to respond? I began to study the mindset of humanity. And I began to finagle, manipulate, and begin to restructure my church and my services in order to make everybody feel as though they belong. But they're not being regenerated on the inside. Hmm? Let me share something with you. The King James Version does not say it this way, but this is the way it's literally translated. Lord must be trying to tell me something. My pages keep turning. Verse 11 and 12. 
And a younger man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me, and he divided unto them his living. Do you know that that is actually translated, should have been literally translated, that the father gave both his sons an equal portion of his own life? Will you let that sink in for a moment? That it should have been and was written, it should have been translated, that the Father gave them both an equal portion of his own life. That, that's, that was the little tra literal translation of that verse. The Father gave them both equal portions of his life. The equal portion is limitlessness. There is no limit to those that live in the life of Christ. I can prove it that if you are in the will of the Father, you will not be living in lack or want. You will not be living in shame either. Hmm? So, I'm going to say it this way. The reason we've not graduated to be able to raise resurrected corpses is because we've not been able to resurrect those that were living. Hmm? There's many answers to that question. And the question is, why aren't we? One of the answers is, how far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to be regenerate? How far are you willing to go to rid yourself of self so that you can walk in the identity of salvation? His name is Yeshua. Yeshua translates God's salvation. You are walking in the identity of his son. Would somebody get a hold of this? Because I'm getting a hold of it. I'm getting a hold of it. I'm getting a hold of it. I've got a hold of it. I don't walk. Listen. Mm. The Lord reminded me of something this weekend. I was in a house prayer meeting one time. I took off these boots, the very ones that I'm wearing now. And a woman grabbed a hold of my boots and she began to shout. She began to pray and she began to speak in tongues. And there was a message come through that lady, that woman in the middle of a house that nobody else, nobody in this room has probably ever been in before. And she began to say that from the Lord, the one who walks within these boots are going to walk in an anointing to break the yoke. Do you know who that is? Do you know who has that anointing? His name is Yeshua, but he's given me a portion of his anointing so that when I tread in my community, I'm walking in an anointing that will break the yoke. I don't have to dance on Facebook. I don't have to be the one that has everything. Every Listen, I don't have to give you a gimmick. I'm convinced that if I'm walking in Jesus, all I've got to do is walk down the pickle aisle and somebody at the potato shack on the aisle over next from me will get the Holy Ghost and shout in tongues. They'll fall out in the Spirit. They'll get healed of cancer. And no one, no one, no one will get the glory but Yeshua. Why? Because I'm not walking in my own anointing. I'm walking in the one that walks into the anointing. Which means I'm walking in His identity. I'm about to resurrect some old Appalachian Pentecostal preaching, old Southern Baptist, whatever it may be. Some of y'all grew up with some of this. You want me to start hacking and spitting and wiping my brow with a handkerchief? Because I'll do it. Come on. 
no disrespect, I've used this. <laughs> most of you, I, I quote Leonard Ravenhill quite a bit. A little lady come up and asked Leonard Ravenhill one time, said, Preacher, you pray for dead people? He said, no, I don't pray for dead people. I preach to them every Sunday morning. No disrespect. No offense. But we got to come alive as a church. There's a pulse, and the pulse that runs through you is a river. That river is called Rivers of Living Waters. It's Yeshua rising up alive on the inside of you. And I'm telling you what, when we get a hold of the revelation, there's nothing within you or of you that contain the Jesus within you. Come on. Come on. We can count everybody in this room on two hands. I think we can. Jesus only had 12. Jesus only had 12. And even when he preached to upwards to 50,000, only a handful continued to follow him. When Jesus invited them into a deeper revelation apart from him meeting their necessities with a few loaves and five fishes, they didn't have the depth in them to follow him into the depths of who he was. And that's what we're dealing with today. When the church can no longer meet my necessities, when the church can no longer pay my bills because I'm behind on my power bill, when the church can no longer give me some money so that I can make it to the doctor, when the church will no longer give me some money so that I whatever it is, when the church won't meet my necessities, I ain't got nothing for that church anymore. 50,000 were fed on a hill and less, less, and less, and less continued to follow him the moment he would the moment he never presented to them their physical necessities then they decided he was no longer worthy to follow when the church, and this is the, this is what we do in the church why why is the mega church growing because the mega church is the mega church and the mega church has all the resources in order to cash on or cash upon and they can make rooms suitable for this person and they can make ministry suitable for that person and they can have 15 associate pastors under one lead pastor and the lead pastor just divvies out money and delegates authority and don't have to do nothing he just has to be the focal point Salah Money answereth all things. It does. I believe we need a new builder. I'm not going to beg. Because the building has nothing to do with the house of the Father. Let me prove it some more. I'm, I'm just, I'm just in, I'm, I'm, huh. The spirit of affirmation flow in this house because I've said I'm going to prove it 14 times. Come on. Do, do you get that though? Verse 12. He divided equally among them his own life. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. Say in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Say disgrace. He would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when, let's say no man gave unto him. 
Amen. And when he had came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have? My fathers have bread enough and to spare. And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Take me as one of thy hired servants. Say, I am no more, say, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Now tell yourself to shut up. Amen. Get out of here with that garbage. Say it with me again. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Now say, get out of here with that garbage. You're worthy. You, let, me, let me share something with you. I'm going to get to it, but I'm going to share it with you early. He said, the lost son said, I'm no, long, I'm no, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. The father never even heard him. He never inclined his ear. He never gave him a thought when he said, I just need to be a servant. There are no servants in the father's house. What, what's the scripture here? I gave it to you Wednesday. I'm going to give it to you again. John 8 and 35, Jesus says, And the servant, servant abideth not in the house forever, but the sons abideth forever. Remember that scripture. Write it in the mental notes for a minute. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. That is John 8 verse 35. Remember that. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of the hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, listen to that. There's so much that we miss. The son says to the father, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Because I have sinned. I've sinned in the sight of heaven and in your sight. And I am no worthy to be called thy son. But the father says to his servants. The son says, I'm no longer to be called your son. And he wants to be distinguished as a servant. But in the moment and in the event that the father turns away from the son and then begins to address the servants was an indicator that he, know, he would not refer to his own son as a servant. Anybody else see that in that scripture? His son stands in front of him and says, I'm your servant. The father turns away from the son who just called himself a servant and then begins to address the servants to tell them what to do in order to come back and show the son favor. Are you getting this? But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. 
He looked away from the son that was begging to be called a servant. And he looked over to the servants and said, bring my robe and put it on him. Bring my ring which symbolizes my authority and put it on his finger. Bring my shoes and put them on him because he's going to walk in my place. Come on, somebody. He's going to walk in my identity, my authority, and he's going to walk in my place. Come on, somebody. If you don't get it, I'll preach it to a church down the road. What I say yes, what I say last Sunday, if, if you don't give him attention, he'll find attention somewhere. If you don't get it, somebody will. I heard a guy one time, a guy that I highly respect, his name's Damon Thompson. If you haven't got that in the last five years, he said, I won't waste it on you. Do I mean that with disrespect? No. I mean that with all the respect to the word. I respect the revelation. I respect he that is alive on the inside of me more than those that obtain that. that and, and listen, again, trust me, I say this out of love and I hope you take it that way. Him alive on the inside of me has all my respect. But dead cultural Christianity has none from me. And there's a myriad of facets of cultural Christianity. There's some that appear alive and there's some that you realize that they lay on the side of the road just like a dead corpse. Some appear to be alive and some just appear to be dead, but both are dead. Let me say that again. Cultural Christianity in some cases appears to be alive and some appears to be dead, but they're both dead. He come not to condemn you. Why do you pretend? Why do you, why do you walk in condemnation? He came not to condemn you, but that you through him might have life more abundantly. Come on, somebody can get a hold of that this morning. I'm okay with where I'm at. I pray for the revelation to come upon you that the husks that the swine do eat were not meant for you. There's a robe and there's a ring and there's sandals that have your name all over them. But when you put them on, you're going to walk in the identity of the one that is seated in heaven. Come on. You're, defe you're defeated because you're walking in a misidentity. You're overcome because you're not walking in the right identity. You're on the verge of perishing and you're on the verge of starvation but it's because you're willing to sit there in the shame that is not your identity. But father, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, my robe. Understand that. He put his robe, his best robe, the one that belonged to him, and he put it in the closet waiting for the day for this lost son to show up. Come on. In that moment, nothing on that man identified him as the one that was just previously in the pig lot. Amen? 
in that moment, nothing upon that man identified him as the one that was previously in the pig law. Because everything on his feet was covered up with his father's sandals. Everything on his garments was covered up with his father's best robe. And the filth on his hands could not be seen past the glory of the authority of the ring that signified his father's authority on his hand. Come on, somebody get with the program. Come on, Oprah. Wasn't that Oprah? Get with the program. Everybody's afraid to say yeah because they don't, they don't want to be associated with Oprah. Amen. Huh? 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 And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. There's a celebration. For this my son, say my son, he identified him with possession. Amen. My son. Not any son. Not his son. Say my son. Amen. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. Say elder son. I'm going to go ahead and bust through this and then come back to my notes. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house. Say house. Whose house was it? The father's house. He heard music and dancing. He heard celebration within the house of the father. Look what happened to him. And he called one of the servants. Remember that scripture, that very statement. He called one of the servants. And asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he, the elder son, was angry, and would not go in. Say, would not go in. Therefore came his father. His father came out and entreated him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I may make merry with my friends. Say, my friends. They're not your friends. Hear me? I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a few moments. But as soon as this thy son, notice he didn't say my brother. And notice that he puts the word this as almost to indicate he looked upon his own brother as an object. You know why he said this? Because what he was actually saying was, and this, this shame That's what religion says. When this shame came to the altar. Huh? And the father poured favor out upon this shame. And I've served him for 30 plus years. And I've never transgressed not once against his commandments. And yet when this shame shows up. You kill the fatted calf. And there's a celebration. Yes. There is. I'll prove it. There's some stuff here man. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. 31 says, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that is that I have is thine. 
It was meet that we would make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This shame, as you have called it, is your brother. It was meet that we should be merry. We should rejoice in the one. Listen, this is a symbolism of being born again, regenerated. This is one that is being welcomed into the family and into the father's house as a son. Hmm? You know how I know most people aren't in the father's house? Because they don't like anybody that isn't isn't associated with their congregation. But in my father's house, there are many churches. There's many sons. Sad but true. Hmm? I don't like them people down there because ain't none of them wearing LuLaRoe. He's still wearing them eight outdated pants that don't make his leg. Listen, I tell him Brandon the other night, I said, listen, my kneecaps, my knee joints. I don't know about kneecaps. I don't got kneecaps. You know when your legs are big, you bend it out straight, your kneecap disappears? That's what I got. I just got a knee joint. I don't know where the kneecap is. It's in here and in there somewhere. I said, my knee joints are as big as your head. I said, you think the skinny jeans ever going to go up over top of the... And I said, then when you get to the dairy air, honey, it's in its own zip code. <clears throat> Ain't, I, skin, skinny jeans are made for skinny people, preferably skinny girls at home. Reagan's going to kill me. One of my favorite things about being a dad is I just... She came through the house last night in a pair of pants that tied. I said, hey, your Barbie doll called wants her pants back. I'm going to try that next time I go to one of these big meetings and all these predominant pastors walk in. I'm going to pat him on the back and say, hey, Barbie doll called wants his pants back. You got them pants at Toys R Us. You stole that off the Ken doll, didn't you? Stars and rhinestones. I'm a rhinestone cowboy. Can we go on with this? I'm digging a hole. Let me see. Let me open my notebook up here. Got some stuff. I want to make some points here. Verse 11, the Bible says, and a certain man had two sons. There was no distinction made. There was no distinction made between the sons in this moment. Now, I want to share something with you. Who was telling the story? Jesus. Jesus is telling the story from beginning to end. And in the first statement, he made no distinction between the sons. He didn't. Made absolutely zero distinction between the sons. And in verse 35, however, or excuse me, in verse 11, there is no distinction between the sons. I want to go back and emphasize verse 12 because the father gave to them both equal, equal amounts or he divided equally among them equal portions of his own life. Amen? So in verse 11 and in verse 12, there's no distinction between the two sons. Everybody see that? 
Say there's no distinction between the two sons. But in verse 25, it says, Now his elder son, the distinction's made. The elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. The elder son, the firstborn, the first or the son of the law, religion. There is a word when we begin to study the law of the firstborn or the son of the law is promenigator, primogenitor. Say it with me, primogenitor. That, that, that's actually an English word. That's not a Greek word, and I, I struggle more with that. Let me say it again, primogenitor. Say it with me, primogenitor. This actually is a word or a principle that literally means that the elder son, primarily the elder son, was the recipient of all that was the fathers before him. So there's, there's this idea of everything that was the fathers and his fathers and his fathers and his fathers before him transcends, it, 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 is, it, is, it is successional. His, the, 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 what is that right? Successor, the one that follows, always takes the full amount. Property, possessions, all falls to the successor, which is the eldest Son. So in here is distinguished from verse 11 and 12 to verse 25. There is no distinguishing. There is no distinction, distinction to the son being distinguished. Do you want me to tell you what my theory is? Holy Ghost, help me with this. Do you know who, who made that, that, that distinction? Do you know who distinguished the elder son and set him apart as the elder son? The elder son. The father didn't do it and Jesus didn't do it. Jesus started the story off with a certain man had two sons. The younger come to him. So he starts it off with, distinct, with no distinction. Okay, we could argue that verse 12 has a distinction, but then the father begins to allot to them equal portions to each other. So there's still no distinguishing. There's no differentiating between the two sons. But in 25, we have the elder son. The elder son made the distinguishing and the differentiating himself. Why? Because when those who think that they are better and mightier than another begins to see one begin to have the favor of the father, they begin to grow with offense and envy and indignation, and that's religion, and they begin to burn with envy towards the one that is receiving favor, and they then try to distinguish themselves from the one getting favor. Somebody say amen because that's a true statement. Amen. What did, it, what, what did this elder son do to try to distinguish himself from the younger son? Where was he? In the field. Where should he have been? In the father's house. Salah. I've got about three or four pages of notes. I could quit right there if you're ready. The elder son was where? In the field. What was he doing? Doing. Working. Exerting himself. He was not where he was supposed to be as a son. Oh, what was that, Jesus? John 8 and 35. Is that where you want me? Oh, yeah, this is what Jesus said. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. 
works. And I'm here to tell you that I believe the Holy Spirit is teaching me that this son, the elder son, represents Cain, a murderer of his brethren. I believe that in this parable, we had an opportunity to see both brothers redeemed. I believe the elder brother continued to run from his convictions. I believe the only brother that was redeemed was the younger. His name is Abel. Salah. Salah, Salah, Salah. I'm telling you, go, go home and think about that for a minute. Modern cultural Christianity is being plagued by the spirit of Cain. Works rather than wonders. Salah. Is this as good for y'all as it is for me, man? I'm telling you. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Okay, the elder son, the firstborn, the son of the law, the primogenitor, he was distinguished by birthright as a consequence of birth order. Has no significance in the kingdom. Has no significance in the father's house. Who's the oldest member of this church? Raise your hand, Frank. Well, no, Maxine is. I'm sorry, Maxine. Maxine's older than Frank. I, I knew that. I just missed it for a minute. Okay, raise your hand, Maxine. The, raise your hand, Maxine. Oldest member of this church. Now, who's the youngest member of this church? Yeah, well, raise probably. Deidre, raise your hand. Who has attended this church the, the shortest amount of time? Would that be probably one of you two, right? Maybe. It would be you. Raise your hand. Who's God loved more? Loves us all the same. The eldest, the youngest, and the newest. It don't matter. He loves us all the same. Hmm? Makes no difference. Birth order has no significance in the father's house. The event of the father dividing, I believe, equally his estate and giving half to the younger son provoked offense within the heart of the elder. This then fueled the self-centered ambition in him to do, to work, to exert himself, all intended that he might obtain and receive applause and accolades. But I'm certain, I'm not so certain it was as much for the Father's attention as it was for the world's attention. Let me say it again. In the event... That the father dividing, I believe, equally his estate and giving half to the younger son provoked offense within the heart of the elder. This then fueled the self-centered ambition in him to do, to work, to exert himself. All intended that he might obtain and receive applause and accolades. But I'm not so certain it was as much for the father's attention as it was for the world's attention. Why? Look at verse 26. Well, 25 is proof that the son was in the field and not in the father's house. 
26 says, And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he, being the elder son, called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He assembled with the servants. Servants do not abide in the house forever. The son, however, abides in the house forever. He was in the field with the servants and he assimilated himself or he assembled himself with the servants. He accompanied the servants. He associated with the servants. You will begin to see within the church those that are, that are projecting themselves in the identity as the elder son are communicating and accumulating themselves together because birds of a feather flock together. People that are trying to get applause and accolades through their service will begin to congregate with people trying to do the same thing. Servants work in order to try to obtain said goal. Or I should say, servants work in order to obtain a goal. Some goal. Right? I've done nothing of myself to come into this world as that man's son. Guess what else? I'm 35 years old and I've never had to do anything. To be called his son. Does that make sense? I came into this world doing absolutely nothing to be that man's son. I'm 35 years old and a few months old. And I've still had to do nothing for him to call me son. I've done a lot for him to call me some other things. But I've never had to do anything for him to call me son. Amen. Do you hear me on that one? Turn your hearing aids up, Dad. I can tell a story on my dad and his brother now. Let me tell you. I'll tell y'all at church, had us scared to death there Thursday night. Somebody went ramp hunting for 14 hours in a day. No, it's more like it's more like 10 hours, 9 hours. Old son came and got him. <laughs> Uh, old dad getting bailed out by Junior. <laughs> oh, God. He loves me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope. <clears throat> Sorry, Dad. Hope I can still come eat fried chicken at Mom's house this evening. But I've never had to do anything. Never had to do anything for him to call me son. Listen. And, and, and no matter where we were at, I was never treated as though I was not his son. Amen? In the home or not in the home? In the workplace or not in the workplace? I, was all, I did nothing to ever have the privilege to be called his son. You don't have to do anything to receive the pleasure and the privilege to be called thou, beloved son. In whom? I'm well pleased. Amen. He assembled himself together with the servants. People, listen. And I'm going to go out. I'm, I'm probably makes people mad here. The elder son was more worried about mission. 
than permission. You do not have to fulfill the mission in order to obtain permission to be in the Father's presence. So many that are missionally minded are only doing it because they think it's up to them to obtain permission. Amen? Are we getting this? That's why more people will exert themselves in the event of a mission then they exert themselves in the presence of the Father. I'm going to tell you something. The Father was celebrating the Son, but the Son was more greatly celebrating the presence of the Father. Would you get that this morning? The Father indeed was celebrating the return of the Son, but the Son in His return was celebrating more the presence of His Father. Somebody get a hold of that revelation this morning. But what did He have to do in order to purchase or provide the said celebration nothing the father provided even his own celebration it was just up to the son to dance let me tell you a story I heard from a great voice his name's Damon Thompson I don't know if you've heard that name before but if you, you know he said at 12 years old, he, him and his apostle was in their church, and another man, I can't remember his name, said, said his apostle was telling him, he said, you know what? He said, the Lord has begun to teach me that so many are waiting for God to give them a dance, but it's time for us to give God a dance. So he said, I ain't ever done this before. We're going to learn together. And they closed the doors in their church in Alabama and began to dance before the Lord. He said, by the time they got done, they had danced their way out the sanctuary, out the door, and had danced a half mile down a gravel road before in front of everybody because the Lord, they had begun to celebrate the presence of the Father. What did they do? Nothing. They just determined within themselves they were going to celebrate the Father and they were going to dance. Listen to me now. This is a borrowed revelation that come from a man named Damon Tomlin. I don't know if you've heard his name before, but right now, let me tell you something. If you're waiting around for God to give you a dance, he may be waiting for you to give him one. But you don't have to do anything to supply the celebration. Okay? He is the celebration. Would you get a hold of that revelation this morning? Hmm? Salah. Where am I? Verse 28, another proof that the Father, when the Father distinguished and, 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 dis, and made a distinction, actually, it, the Father did not make the distinguishing or the distinction. Let me back up and re-say that. But when he made no distinction, it then began to infuriate the elder son who thought by birthright and by, by the order of birth, he was entitled to everything, if not everything, at least more. So, when the birthright and the birth order was not successful, guess what he did? He began to do. He began to work. He began to exert himself. He began to run missions. He began to run operations he began to become industrial and not relational he began to by the works of his hands what was that Cain hmm? 
Cain demanded God to accept the works of his hands. Amen. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. 28, and he was angry. Religion will get angry at the return of sons. Religion will get angry when the house of the father begins to celebrate. Revelation. And he was angry and would not go in, would not join in with them. Again, he continued in the distinguishing. He continued in the differentiating. He continued to walk in a difference. He did not want to be associated with the one called the son. Religion does not want to be called son. Religion wants to be called servant. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Sons abide in the house. The father calls them in. I'm going to borrow a scripture that says many are called but few are chosen. Everyone's called into the father's house but there are them that choose not to come in and associate with the brethren. Hmm? I'm going to say this. There's one bride, there's many brethren, but if you won't associate with the bride, you cannot be called brethren. Salah. Let me say that again. There's many brethren. There's only one bride. And if you refuse to associate with the brethren, then you can never walk with the bride. You can never associate then thereafter with the bride. I know many people that will associate themselves with the bride, but disassociate them with themselves with the brethren. Can't work. Can't work. Debate it. Can't work. Y'all think I'm arrogant, don't you? I'm just kidding. No, you really think I'm arrogant. No, I'm not arrogant. I'm confident. I'm confident in the word of the Lord. And I won't preach what you want to hear, what itching ears want to hear. And I'm, not, I'm not saying that to any of you. I'm just saying that's not what God's called me to do. But what he has called me to do, and I hope with all, with all everything in me and everything that, uh, from love and sincerity and passion that this fuels you and drives you to walk in, the, in your identity of who you are. Not necessarily your identity, but his identity. Would you hear me? If the, I mean, li literally, let me share this with you. It's right here in this parable. If the revelation of the son offends you, then you're the elder outside of the house. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him, son, come in and join the celebration. It even gets worse there, and I'll show you in the end of this parable that it even gets worse. 
29 says, And he, the elder, answered to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. If we feel the urge to tell the Father all that we do for him, then it's never for him, it's actually for ourselves. If I have to tell the Father all that I have did for him, and all that I have sacrificed for him, then I didn't do it for him. Those were works. And that's all they were. And again, the elder son is attempting to further the distinction between him and the younger son. What has he done? But look at all that I have done. Look at this. Look at this one that has squandered your living with harlots. But look that I have never. I have never laid with a prostitute. I have never spent your money on riotous living. I've always been. I've always been. I've always done. But he's never abided in the house with the father. Do you know who the son was? The one that was lost. But came home to live with Papa. Your birthright and birth order is insignificant and meaningless in the kingdom. God will give his choice robe, his ring and his shoes, that you may walk in his identity and you may walk in his place only to those that come home and receive the invitation to come live within the house of the Father and in his presence. I'm, I'm, I'm about done, about another hour. Y'all got another hour? I've got all day. Come on. Thank Yes, engagement. We got some. We're going to go somewhere. You ready? Go ahead. Squirm around and get that soreness out of your butt talks. It's okay. I'll wait. We good? Man, let's go. No, I'm going to say, well, 35 minutes. You got 35 minutes? Not an hour. Okay. The elder son answered to him, Father, lo, these many years do I serve thee. All that I've done for the duration that I've done it. Amen. Hmm? Now I told you a while ago that I was going to show you that sonship was instantaneous, right? And the reason that religion cannot stand instantaneous sonship is because they want to promote their works and their duration of said works. See that? Well, I preach for 35 years. They don't like people that are young that start preaching a deeper revelation than they themselves. Hmm? They really don't want to preach revelation. They want to preach duration. How long they've done. There are some people that will preach, look what God's done. But really what they're saying is, look how long I've held on. Look how long I've preached. Look how long I've pastored. Look at all the mighty works that I've done in Jesus' name. Do you know what he calls them? Workers of iniquity. Hmm? Why? Because they did all of those works and they were wondrous and they were beautiful and they, you know. But do you know what a worker of iniquity is? Someone that does not have or have obtained permission to do those works. 
servants without permission. Sons are the only ones that operate out of permission. Per, let's, let's say it this way. Let me say it this way. The law of permissible identity. Hmm? You're walking as the permissible identity of the son. He puts the identity of sonship on you. It is not what you did that made you accrue or acquire his permission. It's simply who you are, his son. Amen? And then verse 29 says, And he, the elder, answered to his father, Lo, these many years, I've done, I've done read that. If we feel the urge to tell the Father all that we have done for him, then quite possibly, and I believe most assuredly, it was never for him anyway. It was for us. He wasn't doing it out of the love he had for his Father. He was doing it out of identity. Let me share something with you. Religion does not like to walk in the identity of the Son because when they begin to walk in the identity of the Son, it is permission which means that they did nothing but ask, may I? And then receive permission. Religion wants to do in order to obtain their, their identity from everything that they have done. Amen? You see the difference here? What am I doing? I'm walking in beloved identity. What did I do to walk in beloved identity? Nothing. Amen? Hmm. He was most interested. Let me share with this with you. I like this, what he says. He says, and answered, said, he said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Who was his friends? The servants. Why was he friends with the servants? Birds of a feather flock together. Who was he more interested in impressing his friends? Why? Because he resented his father for not showing him a distinguished identity or giving him a distinguished attention and giving him, therefore, a distinguished identity. So, therefore, he found himself, a, 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 he found himself assembled with people who would give him a distinguished identity. Listen, and you know, what, you know why they distinguished him from themselves? Because he was actually out of the father's house. So still yet, even his works did not distinguish him or separate his identity. It was still the father that identified him as distinguished among the servants. But he was more interested in impressing his friends more than he was in obtaining the attention and the affection of his father. Why? Because he had to tell his daddy all that he did. Why? Because he wasn't satisfied with the attention and the affection that he obtained from his father. He was not satisfied with it. He wanted more. He wanted to be the distinguished son. He wanted to be the elder by God. That's religion. Look how many soup bowls I've served in the last two months. Hmm? Look what all I've done. Look how many families I've helped. 
Look how many states I've been in. Look how many appointments I've scheduled. Look how many opportunities I've had to evangelize. We post them all on Facebook. Hmm? When you want to help others only so that others can observe your works, then you're not really wanting to help others. You're putting on a show for people to watch so that you could receive applause and accolades from your friends. This cat was so stupid that he was more worried in impressing his friends because he did not say, you did not throw a celebration for me, Dad. He didn't say that. He said, you never gave me the fatted calf so that I could put on a celebration and let my friends give me applause. You've got to see this in this parable. You never let me come in and celebrate you, Papa. No, he didn't say that. He said, you never gave me what I needed to give my friends the opportunity to praise me because they're the ones that have seen all of my wonderful works. Hmm? Here's the saddest part. He said unto him, Son, the father desperately tried to identify him as son. If your heart did not drop when I said that, you haven't been listening. But the father said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. What did Jesus say? The sons abideth in the house forever. I believe what he said was, Son, you've been in my heart the whole time. When you've been out here in this industry scheme, this thing you've called ministry, and you've been trying to get applause and accolades, he said, my heart has been ripped and torn apart because all I wanted was for you to come into my house and into my presence. And all I ever wanted was to love on you, but you were seeking applause and accolades. You left my house and you left my presence because you were offended and because you were envious. And all I wanted was for you to come in so that I could love on you. You've been with me this entire time. You've been in my heart. But you've been chasing other dreams. Son, you've been with me the whole time. Son, I've never stopped loving you. Son, I've never stopped loving you. But you stopped loving yourself. You stopped loving yourself, son. But I've been praying for you every night. I wake up in the morning and I know. You've not been in my house or in my presence. But I go and I pray because you are in my heart. And you are all I have thought about. And I've wondered and I've pondered upon myself. Where is this my son? He had two sons that were dead. He had two sons that were lost. And he rejoiced in the one coming back and the other continued to be forever and ever lost. Why? Because the elder stopped loving himself. But I will tell you this before it's too late. 
Abba will never stop loving you. Come home. Come home. Come home. Come home. I'll beat you and put you out before I tell you to come home. Come home. Come home. Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. You don't have to work for his attention. You don't have to work for his affection. Out of the abundance will a man's heart speak. This man spoke from the heart, and the first word was son. Get a hold of that revelation, would you? We are so hung up on, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But the father says, son. He did not obtain in his heart all of your works. The thing that he obtained in his heart was your identity. My beloved son. Not thou good and faithful servant. He said, my beloved son. Come on. Come on. Out of his heart. His heart is wrenched. Because he knows your rightful identity and we're not walking in it. Son. 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 You've been with me always. And all that I have is thine. It was meet that we would make merry and be glad for this. Thy brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. Son, you've been with me always, and all that I have is yours. And it was meet that we should celebrate this of thy brother. His second attempt to re-identify and reinstate him as son. What I believe the Lord is trying to do for you today, he's trying to re-identify you. I'm going to say it this way, he's trying to pre-identify you. Because your identity, before you came up with the concept that you would gain something by being acknowledged for your works, is not who you actually are. He's trying to pre-identify you so that he can reinstate you within your identity, son. We started a ministry here two years ago. This will be the first month in several months. The third Thursday of this month, we're going to start Beloved Sons again. 
And I don't know where the Lord's going to take it. I just pray that he takes it to where we begin to walk in that identity. And it's just not something that we do. It's something that we become. It's something that we are. Beloved sons. But two, two years ago, over two years ago, August of 2017, the Lord began to give me a vision about beloved sonship. And I had left that vision for a little while. But the Lord has begun to call me back into that vision. You may have left your vision for a little while, but I believe that the Father's beginning to call you back into that vision. Listen, I want to tell you that if you got a mission, it may not be from God, but if you got a vision, it's always given to you by God. There's a difference between vision and mission. Would you say amen to that this morning? We have vision. I have vision. My only mission is Him. Because he is the one thing that I have set my gaze upon. And my vision is my mission. Amen. Listen to those words again. I do not have mission. I have vision. But my only mission is the Father. Because I have began to let. Let's see. How did I say that? I do not have a mission. But I have a vision. Because my vision is the Father. And, my, and the Father is my mission. I've set my gaze upon the Father. My vision is my mission. But you can never have a mission without a vision. And the vision is always Yahweh, the Father. I could say that in the last of this parable, what he was trying to do was he was trying to get the Son. Listen, three words I'm going to tell you and I'm going to close. Pre-identify, reinstated. Re-envision. Re-envision. And I'm going to go ahead and give you another word I heard from a guy named Damon Thompson. I don't know if you've heard that name before. But he says that theology was meant to be incarnational. You're supposed to live in according to how you believe. He says that he can tell more about what you believe by how you live rather than what you say. Why did I say that? Believe in your heart that you are his son and you will never have to live as one of the servants. Before I go, I said I was going to prove that if we're living in the Father's house and in his presence and in his will, we do not have to live in lack or want. Look at the lost son and where he came from, where he went, and where he ended up. There was two places he was that he never had want. There was one place where he found himself that he had nothing. And it was out of his father's will is where he found himself in the pig lot feeding the swine. But when he came back into his father's house, into the presence of his daddy, in the identity of son, he never, ever, ever had to look back and say, I once fed pigs. Some of us need to get a hold of this this morning because you're still trying to feed pigs. When the father has set a table with a fatted calf upon it and he is rejoicing and celebrating your return and you're still stuck in a hog lot somewhere. Amen. Let's stand. Yeah. Would anybody like to dismiss us in prayer?
Sorry, Jason, I wasn't really looking at you, but I was looking at you. I didn't want you to think I was. Okay, Jason's going to dismiss us. Oh, is that what you said? I'm sorry. Let's get on the same page. You want to dismiss? Okay. Jason's going to dismiss us in prayer. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia 24822. That is Tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot l y thank you for listening and may god bless you and all that you do today